Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello, I'm Simon Evans. Welcome to Headliners. Joining me tonight as we resume normal news coverage under our new king are two top comedians, both of whom I look up to almost as though they were majestic themselves. Leo Kirst, Ben Norris. Good evening, gentlemen. One known for his comedic talent, the other is just really tall. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's not true. It's a... Well, one of us not known for their comedic talent. You've slumped in the chair in order not to... <laughs> ben, it's absolutely rigid back. So let's take a look at tomorrow's front pages. We start with the Daily Mail. Uh, the Daily Mail reads, Freedom begins with tax cuts. Hard to know whether that is intended ironically. On Liz Truss's recent fiscal announcement, the Daily Telegraph leads with, Putin set to declare occupied land part of Russia. That's a slightly dubious precy of his intentions and sweeping tax cuts in Prime Minister's sights. The Independent reads Truss and Biden clash over tax cuts for the rich. The Guardian leads with Biden rejects Prime Minister's embrace of Reaganite tax policies and Russia plans votes to tighten grip on Ukraine. The Financial Times leads with Truss signals profound shift in policy with defence of tax cuts as she states that breaks for the rich are not unfair and another nail in the coffin for SPACs as backer Pally Happy Tyre fails to find target. I'm sure that makes sense to FT readers. The Mirror reads thoroughly modern monarchy. Charles promises slimmed down version of coronation amid cost of living crisis, and it will be inclusive and reflect the whole country and the Commonwealth. And the Daily Express leads with public backs king over slimmed down monarchy. The strong support for cutting down number of working royals. They seem quite intent on uh, detaching themselves from that obligation. And Truss vows tax cuts to get Britain on the move. And Holly and Phil devastated over Queen Q row. Well, of course, now they are. Anyway, finally, the Daily Star leads with Q... Do you think you are? Holly and Phil deny pushing in at funeral. 27,000 signed petition to get TV couple axed. And those were your front pages. So kicking off with Wednesday's Telegraph and... Uh, our new Prime Minister has a fiscal statement, Ben. Have you understood it? I mean, I think I have. It, um, you know, Liz Truss has been talking about tax cuts, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, average people probably thought, oh, tax cuts, that'd yeah. be good, yeah. uh, until they realised that it's they're not tax cuts for average people. It seems that they are mostly for... The most hated segment of society, in fact. Well, the top earners. I mean, yeah. are, are they hated? I don't the know. The bankers. The bankers are generally perceived to have got away with everything that's gone wrong since they trashed the economy in 2008. They remain aloof. From yeah, the I mean, they still get booed in comedy clubs, don't yeah. they, when they pop up, but... Um... The Harry Enfield Question Time spoof, remember that? The bankers, the bonuses, the bankers, the bonuses. It's a, it's a, it's a common refrain. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, may, I probably don't, you know, it's very likely I don't understand the whole world that bankers work in. Mm. But it seems that I, I don't think they're doing too badly, even with a cap. I mean, I mean, I'm, personally, I'm quite in favour of lowering tax cuts, corporation tax, anything that suppresses enterprise, that, that muffles the, the urge to get ahead and, and uh, you know, but I'm not sure this is... Well, this, I mean, it's, it's not just bankers who are going to get a tax cut. Other people will get a tax cut as well, but obviously this is the sort of newsworthy tax cut, so but it, it, gets, it gets pulled out. Level, but this will right? uh, actually make sure that London uh, remains competitive for international finance. Okay. Although, I mean, I'd actually question whether that's necessary, because the reason that bankers want to live here isn't so much, uh, you know, the, the pay, it's so they can send their kids to the right schools and make the right connections and, mm. and dine in the right restaurants. And also, of course, because following Empire and the successful maintenance of the Commonwealth, the City of London has a number of secret underground tunnels that go all the way under the Atlantic, all the way to various tax havens and so on. There are a lot of conspiracy theories speaking, as well. There are, there are, there are... All oh, right, that was a metaphor. There are significant advantages the city has over other... Others, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can get uh, you can you can find tax havens. You can get access to tax havens from other places, such as mm. the Bahamas, and uh, yeah. you, oh, you yeah, might, you might even have. be in might even be in, in one if you go and if you go and live there. But their options are basically Frankfurt, aren't they? Nobody wants to live in Frankfurt. Yeah, or Paris, uh, New York. Um, so I mean, yeah, there, there is a there is a bit of competition between those cities to, to attract mm. uh, finance because obviously these people uh, pay a lot of tax, especially yeah. you know with IR thirty five and all these uh, rules that have come in. They mean that high earners have to actually pay tax instead of paying themselves, you know, loans or dividends or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, but I mean, uh, bank, banking, uh, it does, uh, there's some sort of questionable social utility to a lot of their operations, you know, high frequency trading and stuff like that. And also, um, there's no sign of a, an exodus of bankers. And also bankers, it's, it's like being a fisherman. Fishermen will always have loads of fish. A butcher's always going to have loads of meat. Bankers have always got loads of money. So they're not really, the pay isn't commensurate with what they do. If they didn't leave after Brexit. I mean, everyone thought that would be the, yeah. the route, if that didn't do it. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. How do you feel about it, Ben? Well, I just think, uh, I, presumably, they can have ways of not paying tax, even if they are... They will find their tax. way around it. There's a certain amount that you start to earn and then you can afford accountants and suddenly that... <laughs> that kind of the breakthrough point, isn't I think it? That, I think they're a, a long way above that. But, no, the, I mean, the tax, tax rules have been overhauled, so, I mean, I think it's affected us. On to Wednesday's Guardian now with their take on the recent Leicester violence. Leo, apparently it's the far right that to blame. So, yeah, this is, I mean, you, you, you've got to laugh. It's a very serious issue. But uh, So Claudia Webb, uh, who's the MP for, for Leicester East still, even though she was convicted... Not of, sure she's uh, still the Labour MP. I'm not sure about that. No, no, she's, she's independent. independent now, but right, she's yeah. still the MP for, for Leicester, Leicester East. Uh, so she, she's lost the, the Labour whip. Um, but she refused to, to stand down as an MP, which she should have done because she, you know, yeah. she threatened uh, someone with, with an acid attack. She said, Says the Leicester violence and didn't follow through. She left. She threatened the. Um, she said that the Leicester violence could spread beyond the city. Um, I mean, it certainly will if she gets involved and starts. Mm. Well, it's got to match. It's got fists. a Birmingham already, I think, isn't it? Is it that way? We've got a bit of footage of it. We... I think it's, it's spread to eastern Ukraine as well. And uh, oh, we've got some some footage. Uh, so she, uh, Claudia Webb, has said that this comes down. This uh, violence between Muslims and Hindus is uh, because of uh, extreme right wing extremists. Apparently, so. the, the, the story is that they go on 
online and they kind of like goad from both into both So right wing extremists are goading, yeah, yeah, are going on Facebook and goading this to happen. I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe there's some other uh, issues. Like maybe we've uh, maybe we've imported dramas from other countries because this happens in India. Didn't it start obviously. With cricket? I heard it started with cricket, which is to be fair, far right as far as I'm concerned. Well, to be honest, it's the most interesting thing that's ever come out <laughs> <laughs> since the ball tampering. Which, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, funnily enough. But anyway, that was. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, it comes. It kind of clashes with the, with the the royal funeral. Uh, you know, a couple of days ago, it felt like it was a sort of bit of the older than you. But actually, it could easily get exaggerated, couldn't it? In terms of importance, these things little flare. No, I've been I've been following this for uh, for a, a while, on, not on uh, mainstream yeah. media, which has completely ignored it because obviously right. it's being done not by white people. I mean, if it was if it was white football hooligans doing yeah. it, oh my God, the Guardian would be in uproar about it. As, well, as it is, it as it is, they're trying they're trying to use some sort of mental gymnastics to blame it on white football if it was hooligans. City United, they'd be going. That's actually some Muslims have been starting. Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's a non. <laughs> I mean, it's as if, like, blaming this on, on right-wing uh, extremists yeah. is as if Boko Haram are a spin-off of UKIP. It's, it's an absolute nonsense. I like that. Boko Haram... A subsidiary, a subsidy. What's well, the, actually, Boko subsidy. Haram, they had, they had that song, they had that song, A Whiter Shade of Pale, which sounds like a <laughs> white supremacist song. Back to cricket. Yeah. <laughs> Sticking with the Guardian, it seems our government is under a bit of pressure from our friend across the pond, Ben. This is... Um, Biden is not happy with, uh, with, with Liz, is that right? Yeah, the, the Global Fund, which um, is money raised to fight malaria, TB and AIDS and right. uh, all sorts of horrible stuff like that uh, in, the, the, I guess, the third world, uh, we are holding off uh, t saying how much we are going to pledge. Yeah. Um, it seems uh, the government is, to, is yet to pledge exactly how much that the UK is willing to commit. Is this a, is this a fund that the that America is particularly fond of or invested in, or is it more of a, a UN type thing? Because um, it, it, it seems I'll that tell you as soon as I reread my notes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe it, Biden seems to be um, particularly keen that uh, that we should we should do our bit for this one. Yeah, I we've been that... been asked to pledge. Uh, we've been asked for a thirty percent increase in the yeah. amount we pledge, and I think yeah. previously we, we pledged one point eight billion pounds, which is quite a lot of quite a money. Amount, it's a it? decent decent amount of money considering there's other things we've got to spend money on as well, and we've just cut taxes on bankers. Um, so uh, so yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of money. But I, I don't know. All I hear day in day out is how evil Britain is, how you know evil colonialism and empire is, and it's like well if we're evil, why are we paying? Why are we doing all this good stuff? Why don't we live up to our evil? The guilt fund. Yeah. Maybe they call it the global guilt fund. Is that what it is? They get more or they get less from us. Then? Right, one fund with guilt in yeah. a different spelling. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like this is probably, it is quite money well. I mean, obviously there are limits, but it's money quite well spent, generally speaking, making the developing world remain habitable for as long as possible. That, just from our own point of view, that seems like quite a good investment, wouldn't you say? Until we put it underwater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's coming, isn't it, obviously, you know, but... Uh, but I think, I, I mean, I, I don't understand the intricacies of these things, but my understanding is that we... It is in our vested interests mm. to make sure, to sort of keep the, the other parts of the world as stable, stable and healthy exactly. as possible, yeah. because everything comes back to haunt us if we don't. But on the other hand, I don't necessarily want to have Joe Biden telling us where we put our, you know, our charitable investments. I feel that that's a, that's a bit impertinent on his part, don't you? And also a 30% increase. It just shows, I mean, this yeah. is why you should never give to charity. It's like when you start a direct debit with, yeah. uh, with you know, a, a dog's chuggers. home or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're on the phone straight away, oh, can you up your, can you up your monthly... I used to get it from Amnesty. They're like, can you 
up your you know, monthly allowance. It's like, why don't you ask somebody who isn't giving you 10? When the first time you get stopped by one of those fellas in the, in the, uh, the Leeds Chuggers. Yeah, and you kind of go, yeah, okay, what is it? Thinking, oh, I've got a tenner on me. I'm <laughs> yeah. chatting about this. And no, you've got to set up a direct debt, yeah. make a lifetime commitment, and then, and then go home and undo it all at the <laughs> computer. You know, it can take half an hour, can't it? And then get asked you know? <laughs> every two weeks if you'd like to give more. Turning to Wednesday's Financial Times, an update on Russia's war in or on Ukraine, Leo, or their uh, special military operation. So NATO has accused Moscow of escalating its war on Ukraine after Kremlin allies in occupied territories have announced referendums to join Russia and the country's parliament approved legislation that clears mm. the way for military mobilisation so they could draft uh, you know, citizens into... Well, two things to say about that, but let's do the referendums bit first. Well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to do, Simon. Um, Sorry, so... <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I prepared something to say about this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the rushing, basically they're rushing through these sham referendums in, in places that they've occupied in, in the east in Donetsk and Luhansk. Yeah. Thank and... God we've never been involved in a sham referendum. <laughs> don't that bring was, that nonsense. That was the man. will of the people. It's the one uh, place where we're uh, dry on. Yeah, that. I mean, they're trying to make one happen in Scotland, but, um, but possibly with Russian interference. But anyway, uh, but basically, this is the, so the, he's trying to he's trying to put these ref referendums through, and make them uh, ostensibly Russian territory. Yeah. And you know, so what's your feeling? Is it, is it a sham? Is it or, or is it actually likely to expose that there is some support in the, in the demographic? Well, funnily enough, there is some support in some of these places for yeah. Russia, and there's certainly some antipathy towards Ukraine and to, towards uh, Kiev, who uh, you the know, Russian as well as being speaking, seen as distant. Russia, yeah, exactly. Uh, so and and they see Ukraine as having you know forced this war to happen um, but that doesn't mean that you know the <laughs> Putin's right to, to go in there and, no. and seize this land so uh, and it's really it's really a sort of um, uh, you know Putin's desperate because he's he could be about to lose militarily lose these areas as he yep. as he has you know in the, in the north and the east and it also changes the legal aspects of this land you know it become Russian territory so any uh, attack by Ukraine wouldn't be liberating Ukraine's land it would be attacking Russians land which would then uh, Ostensibly, give him the sort of um, the the excuse to use uh, to escalate and use battlefield nukes. Uh, but it's interesting the influence. You know, this this war and the way it's going for Putin is going very badly oh, for yeah. Putin, and it's uh, it's reduced his influence in in former Soviet states who are now fighting amongst each other. It's not a war; it's a special operation. Special yeah. operation. But it yeah, could we become can, a war at this point. We can rename this it. The thing Claudia Webb calls it a, a far right uh, far right <laughs> white English football hooligan. Well, I think you know there is some argument for that as well. The the, the interesting thing, though, I, I've been reading about the mobilisation, not a huge amount, but I just saw this like, fairly well-informed Twitter thread. But, the, um, but I hadn't really considered this before. If you, like, under the Soviet Union, they maintained the infrastructure into which they could pour the conscripted forces at a moment's notice. Yeah. But that is not cheap, you know, to maintain officers, to maintain uh, barracks, to maintain mm. the supply chains. For, you know, these things are extraordinarily expensive yeah. to maintain. And as soon as they became Russia rather than the Soviet Union, that was all got away with. So the idea that they can just mobilise... Yeah. Conscripting young men is the easy part. How do you get them out there? How do you train them? How do you determine but also, to go to? But also it would lead to, I mean, the one thing that Putin's still succeeding at, at is domestic suppression. So yeah, he's, yeah. You know, he's really quelled any sort of demonstrations. Um, but, I mean, if mothers start seeing their it's sons being, being, yeah. Yeah, being sent out, you know, that it's gonna, if the, it hasn't really affected the Russian public so much yet. I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's some, uh, the economy's sort of, you know, not doing as well as it would. But if they start seeing, 
seeing their sons being conscripted and sent out there and sent back in body bags, that's going to really affect the public. One of the other very dangerous things in Russia, of course, is just walking down the street and an oligarch landing on your head. Yeah, oligarch falls out of a hospital window. Don't walk too close to hospitals. Have you seen the list? I mean, it's an amazing amount of... It's uh, extraordinary. I don't want to say you have to admire his chutzpah, but there is something something quite medieval about his approach to some of these little internal divisions. Well, I mean, what what is your feeling? Is it six months, nine months, I guess, this war has been going on now? Seven, eight, nine months? I'm trying to remember. It was like late February, wasn't it? We were really braced for... We were all going, well, you know, let's be honest, you know, plucky Ukraine, but it's... Mm. I mean, we've all been wrong-footed, haven't we? Is that... Well, I think it's... Isn't it sort of like all of the other similar things where... somebody has invaded somebody else's land, they don't work out very well because people, when they're in their own country, fight uh, much harder than they do when they're meeting up somewhere else. It's clearly really easy to underestimate, isn't it? I mean, Putin's no... It's an ideological difference as well because, I mean, the the whole Russian autocracy is a command-led structure. So, you know, you you can't do anything. If you do anything, you'll get into trouble if it's not what you've been told to do. It's like working for Haringey Council. So so the Ukrainian people are fighting uh, with much more mobility and agility and as autonomous units. So it's really the the difference between Western liberal democracy and an autocratic regime. We're seeing autocratic regimes calcifying under the weight of their own sort of command structures. You're seeing it in in China right now. And it's it's actually given me a bit of of hope that Western liberal democracy isn't over. I think the only threat to Western liberal democracy comes from within us. I could quite agree, and I'm sure we'll be seeing examples of that later this hour. The Financial Times again, and looking towards Iran, Ben. Yeah, this is um, this p- poor Kurdish-Iranian uh, woman who was arrested um, in Iran by the morality police. Which I thought was like a, just a sort of silly term of abuse, but it turns out they really do have one of those. The, the, the morality yeah. police is like, oh, yeah, no. oh, here they come, the morality. But no, no they actually yeah, are... It's not a... Sting they're talking about. No. This, is, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is a real organisation. But she was arrested because she was wearing tight trousers and uh, something awful happened. They say, she, I think she had a heart attack. And anyway, yeah. she, she, she died in custody. It's, it's a terrible, awful tragedy. But and it's triggered a, a quite a lot of protests and sort of solidarity, is that right? Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of um, people have come out and, you know, risking their own uh, liberty, I suppose, by taking off headscarves and stuff yeah. and saying, we're not going to be told uh, what we can and can't wear. And it does seem... Uh, very sad that, you know, all these, in this modern age, there are sort of men in positions of power telling women what they can and well, can't wear. Well, they're not wear. in a modern age, are they? I mean, that's the thing, you know. It's, but they it's were, were they? And 2,000 years but ago. But you see yeah. photographs of Iran, you know, in oh, the yeah. 1960s Before it was 70s, Islamic. Before it, it was an Islamic theocracy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was pretty pretty groovy over there. But It um, certainly was. But it's but one interesting, thing I, you know, they're, they're like cutting their hair off and stuff, aren't they? Some, I've seen quite yeah. a lot of videos of some quite visceral sort of demonstrations, which is, I think there is a, in, maybe just enough of a little bit of a, a, a momentum that they might actually become too powerful to individually sort of pick Yeah, off. you would hope so. You would hope so. I don't, th- and I don't know. You seem to be quite trusting in the sort of Islamic police, uh, the Iranian police, uh, police's account of the events. I mean, yeah. other accounts say that she was raped and beaten and killed. Uh, murdered yeah, by, by the police, yeah. and um, and it wouldn't be out of out of character. A lot of similar things oh. like this happened. I mean, they've got it written into their their penal code that you know you can uh, you can beat and murder people for uh, breaches of 
uh, the Islamic Code. Um, incidentally, Islam is going to be Britain's biggest religion by 2050, so we'll mm. see how that affects the penal code here. Maybe we'll be seeing well, some of this. we've only got shopping to defend us. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, and I'm still joined by the comedy pairing that gave Morecambe and Wise a run for their money, Leo Kirst and Ben Norris. So let's dive back in onto The uh, Guardian next. And the super rich, they keep getting richer. Yeah, bit of good news. Yeah. Bit of good news. The success of capitalism means <laughs> that rich people uh, keep getting richer and the number of global ultra-high-net-worth individuals hits a, has hit a record high. So uh, a report by Credit Suisse says that, um, it says that those with assets exceeding $50 million in, to in total has gone up to 218,200 after a post-pandemic explosion of wealth. You can only assume they, they got second jobs as delivery drivers yeah. or, or something like that. Um, and yeah, a bit more information on that. The number of US dollar millionaires has increased by 5.2 million during 2021 to a total of 62.5 million. So that's how many dollar millionaires. And the Shorix, I don't know who that is, a bank probably, said that the number of millionaires, this is quite snobby, I like this, the number of millionaires was becoming so large that it was becoming an increasingly irrelevant measure of wealth. <laughs> yes. Well, there must be some truth even just by inflation as well, I suppose. Is there, like, millionaires used to get to feel like special people. Yeah, yeah. Now they're just running the mill. Yeah, I actually used to be able to buy a tropical island and now you can't even get I looked get it up on Wikipedia to see what it used to be. When, I mean, in 1900, when the idea of a millionaire first started kind of getting, becoming fashionable, it was worth about 30, 35 million now. Right. So still a bit below the, the ultra kind of level, but yeah. uh, that, that, that's, what you would have, that's what you have to have in order to have that impact on society. Yeah. Now that is quite rare, isn't it? 35 million. Yeah. I think, you know, so that's, that's really what, there should be a word, because a billionaire, that's obviously like a ludicrous thing, that's like a tiny number of people, they're like kings and princes. Yeah. But a millionaire, the truth is, probably some of us know millionaires. Well, anybody, know, anybody who you know. bought a house yeah. in, in the 90s is now a billionaire, uh, not a mil uh, millionaire. Yeah, anyone who bought a house in the 90s and hasn't divorced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that harsh? <laughs> <laughs> is that stung? Uh, yeah. You're doing all right, are you? Uh, uh, well, uh, I, I mean, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's too early to say. But you can't, just a millionaire now, you can't go around flashing the cash, just, uh, you know, rant. You can't, you're not yeah. going to be like uh, spending 50. You'll run out pretty quick if, yeah, you're, yeah. You know, if you're getting a round in in London. Yeah, that's, exactly. That, that's that's right. half of your million gone already. Yeah. So do we feel, I mean, is it a bad thing or is it just a source of envy and resentment? I mean, you, I mean, you were saying it's, it's a, it's a proof that capitalism is, is working, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I was only froth on the top of the. Glass. I was only half being an idiot when yeah. I said that. I, I mean, think there's some truth to it. No, but yeah. I think the divide has got a bit excessive now, hasn't it? There's yeah. the, the, the the amount of excessive wealth at the top is huge, and now we've got people in food banks. Surely yeah, yeah. we people... could change the shape of the pyramid. Obviously, there's a pyramid, but it doesn't have to be like that. It could be a bit more like that. But it? people say that about about food banks, and uh, I mean, I think uh, it's just another. It's, it's an example of largesse. It's not. No, it is. It's what not have the French got to do it's with not it? Exactly, it's not an example of people starving. It should be in large. Everybody, death, shouldn't it? Everybody has For got food. the median uh, income has, has got has come up. You know, so much. You know, yeah. since uh, in, the, in the last few decades. I'm no trop. I do have a bit of sympathy with Ben's point of view. When you see some of the things, I think in like in in uh, 1965, the average 
board executive owned roughly three, no, 35 times the average salary within his, salary, within yeah. his company, and now it's something like 3,000 times. I mean, it's, they are absurdly well compensated, and they're not even that good at it half the time, are they? You know, that's yeah. what rankles. But the, the thing is, there's, uh, I mean, there's an unlimited uh, labour supply, so you don't really have any bargaining power when there's yeah. unlimited labour. Ah, Liz, are you going to save us from this? This is from The Guardian. Next, androgynous fashion from Kenya. Ben, this is something we can all sort of feel a bit more is in our wheelhouse. <laughs> sure. Uh, a, a, apparently a growing number of Kenyan sort of fashion labels are embracing genderless fashion uh, as a younger, more uh, vocal generation calls for greater inclusivity and creativity in clothing design. So mm. uh, it's quite a major issue in Kenya, uh, this, because uh, sadly homophobia and transphobia are... Right. Extremely prevalent. Here's David Icke. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, so, inspired um, boys. So there's calls here in Kenya for more non-binary fashion, but I wonder what non-binary fashion is. It's described as genderless fashion. So yeah. I'm thinking uh, the tracksuit. Yeah, is, is there is quite example. a lot of that already, really, isn't there? To be yeah, fair, I mean, women is. have been wearing trousers for quite a while. Yeah, I, th I suppose is it just Part stuff that disguises the shape of the body? Is it the thing with the uh, the fashion industry? Is it's always like trying to trying to demonstrate its uh, its bona fides, its you know, its moral, and it's just so immoral. I mean, yeah. it, it will do anything to sell clothes. It, you know, its models used to be heroin addicts. Yeah. And, it, and it literally made that look chic, to have about 3% body fat and massive dark rings around your eyes to look as if you've been... And it's made for know. pence in a sweatshop. Yeah. Or by as children. close to a sweatshop yeah. as they can yeah. get, or by Uyghur slaves. And they nick the all Chinese their government. ideas from kids on the street who just invent stuff with a meagre budget and go to charity shops and, and cut things up, and they get all well, their ideas from that, and then it goes onto the... Onto the I mean, talking of genderless fashion, um, you and I, probably not you, you're much younger than us, but uh, remember the 1980s? Yeah. Uh, where there was, you know, we had Boy George, didn't yeah. we, in the New Romantics? Absolutely. And there, and there yeah. was an awful lot of And a lot of that. of that started at the street level as well, didn't it? And then the next thing you know, Givenchy and Chanel have got people walking down the catwalk. It's, it's an absolute... I despise the fashion mm. industry, really quite It's strongly. coming across. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not just in the way I choose to dress. Yeah. That's why you choose not to take part. <laughs> that's, that's why you have a Panamanian tailor. His last... <laughs> Get yourself one good tailor and you can buy any jacket you want in Oxfam and have it made to measure, you know, straight off the bat. It's a fantastic way to do it. David Beckham wore a sarong, didn't he? Yeah. And what's sarong with that? <laughs> hey, come on. He's had that in the back pocket for some time now. Lovely to see a bit of no daylight on it. Wrong, Wednesday's Daily Mail now with a headline filled with GB News buzzwords. This one? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, as Kenya uh, progresses with, uh, with its, its sort of uh, politics, we're regressing. So feminist academics have told how they're self-censoring because their views on trans issues have led to them being overlooked for jobs, physically barbed or even removed from events, and facing a continuum of hell, that's their words, not mine, wow. uh, from online trolls who have made death and rape threats. Uh, one academic said, it feels so alienating because academia should be about discussing and ex exchanging ideas. And it's not, it's, uh, it's not in our context. And yeah, academia should surely require free discussion. Uh, and it's, it's bizarre that the death threats against you know, these women who are described or dehumanized as, as TERFs or whatever, mm. uh, the death threats are accepted, but you know, anybody stating biological facts about chromosomes or anything like that is, uh, is, is seen as, a, as some sort of right-wing uh, ultra-Nazi. Um, and we saw just, just uh, a couple of days ago uh, um, a rally, uh, a Labour mm. Party advisor yeah, yeah. screaming fascist at, that was a, in my hometown. at a baby. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, you brought your baby along to be a, a, a fascist, have you? Yeah, to the dad who had him in a sort of papoose. Yeah, really yeah. Upsetting. She yeah. could identify a fascist. I mean, there is something quite specific about the trans row in this respect. There's been a, a certain fear that the, the, like, the faculty in most of our universities has, has become more and more a, like a left-wing consensus. But you might be able to say, well, that maybe just reflects the kind of people who want to work at universities, nothing very sinister. But, <laughs> but the trans issue seems specifically to attract... A, a kind of intolerance. Like, there's no think, discussion to be had here. I think it's extremely really. sinister that you yeah. know people at universities aren't allowed to openly discuss ideas. Yeah, no, it would be. But no, what I mean was, I think there's the, part of the chilling effect that, uh, that has occurred at university until the trans thing that's come along is not so much that there's a deliberate attempt by the faculty to close down these ideas. It's that the students and everyone they're the going community. through, you know, and they're, yeah, it's just a natural... It should still be resisted and mm. you should still assert your right to... Dis but it isn't like some weird agenda. I, I just feel with the trans thing, it's a tactic. It's an absolute tactic because they know that what they're trying to get over, cannot withstand any kind of rational argument as it's traditionally been understood. So they just delegitimize the idea of argument altogether. And that's quite different from anything that's previously been, you know, there's, there's always this kind of ongoing row about what guest speaker the, you know, sparsely attended conservative club at university is allowed to get in. But do you know what I mean? That... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, obviously the, the trans debate is, uh, as I think I've said before, quite nuanced and uh, complicated and often best avoided. But, uh, yeah. you know, the, 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 the volume that comes from it is, seems enormous compared to the, you know, the, the size of it. As well, the size of the number of people who identify as trans, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's definitely weaponized for something more than, than, than making sure that their lives are any better, because if anything, it's making their lives worse, I think. Mm. Oh, yeah, genuine transgender yeah. Uh, people. Well, genuine transgender women, because I think yep. uh, trans men just, just seem to, you know, escape the debate completely and just, uh, you know, are allowed to, to live their lives in society. But genuine transgender women uh, bear the brunt of, of all this sort of opprobrium mm. and don't instigate any of it. Mm. And it's these just lumpy blokes who say, I'm a woman, who are instigating all the all, all the issue. I mean, I think, yeah, fine, be, be trans, but put some effort in. Moving you know I mean? on to that, some we... of the ones that are, that are uh, you know, screaming at turf. And it's like, man, you don't even, you look like me. But if I shaved less. <laughs> we have a, um, a follow-on from that, which is the World Rugby refuses to review trans player ban despite risk of legal action. This comes from the Telegraph, Ben, who are, um, who seem to be quite committed to this issue, oddly. Slightly against the grain of their general political persuasion, but they're, uh, they've, they, I've noticed they're, they're really in on the rugby thing. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I'm, I'm quite a rugby fan, uh, and I like to think not remotely transphobic, but mm. I do see why world rugby might have an issue with people who were born with a fair amount of testosterone mm. um, playing such a, you know, physical game against people who were not. Uh, born with the it kind of seems absurd to have to even pretend that that isn't going to be obviously the overwhelming concern and the the, the presentation of it as a phobia I mean I just think it's extraordinary this this like co-opting of the of that word but can't we I mean I, I, I'm sort of semi-serious here but can't we think about having trans sport yeah so it could be a completely separate thing we've got men's we've got women's and, and we have trans sport I think it could be quite interesting. Transport. Transport. We've <laughs> got that already. <laughs> we might even have a minister for it.
And welcome back to Headliners one last time. I'm still Simon Evans. They're still Leo Kurse and Ben Norris. Let us crack on. We have half of the, uh, the <laughs> half of the stories to get through still with the final third. But we'll squeeze them in. Wednesday's Telegraph. Shouldn't these two have known better than to mess with the Brits and their queuing? Ben, this is... It does seem incredible. Uh, Scho Schofield and um, uh, Willoughby. Willoughby. Famously now... Uh, well, they say they didn't... Uh, jumped the queue. No. They said they were there, uh, you know, as journalists, and there was a kind of separate journalist space. Mm. But, you know, the, it looked like every, to everybody else involved, uh, like they just came in and jumped the queue. Is that word that is used a lot in the last few years? Optics, isn't it? It's yeah. not good optics, bad it's optics. not good optics. Very and poor optics. And that is all their job is at the end of the day, is optics. <laughs> so, <yeah>. One <laughs> thing's for sure, Philip Schofield is going to get quite pressurised the next time he's in the post office, isn't he? Yeah. People are going to be keeping their eye on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oi, yeah. Philip, get to the back. I just want to borrow the pen. Nah, back. <laughs> yeah. I'm not here, I'm here as a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's such a shame this has happened to one of our leading journalists. I'm sure he was going to get a Pulitzer Prize for his cue standing. I mean, so, are they, he's not writing a piece. It's, what, what is the, what, has he defined a tool or, 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 or like, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll develop you, the notion of what the journalism amounted to? I'll tell you what he's not. He's not good at coming up with excuses. He's no. in four days and yeah. they come up with this. Yeah. This is a non, you jump the queue. Just say, yeah, jump the queue. I took the. I, took, I, mean, I saw it, an opportunity. Every other context in public life, it's fine, isn't it? We all understand VIPs. Yeah. They jump the queue to get into nightclubs. So a little area in the hotel. You know. I think what made it really hard for both of them is that David Beckham didn't jump the queue. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's a very high-profile person who didn't jump the queue. Didn't, he's probably, he's didn't a... on his wife over a 30-year marriage and then write a book. You know, he's, explaining that why he was really still. He's probably got person. less. He's probably got less in his diary though. Yeah, to be that's fair, true. Philip Why well, wasn't Posh in the queue as well? I did feel bad about that. David was left standing. I think he own. was queuing for the whole family. Right. Okay. Like a microcosm of yeah. Schofield queuing for the whole nation. <laughs> Apparently, there were 25 million people wow. in that queue. So you can see why you might think. I'm going to try and get to the front of this. I wish I'd done it myself now. Oh, well, never have another chance. On to Wednesday's Guardian. These archaeologists must have been ecstatic with this find, Leo. Yes, so Israeli archaeologists have found traces of opium mm -hmm. in three-and-a-half-thousand-year-old pottery. Wow. Uh, so it was used, uh, it was used in uh, ancient burial rituals, they reckon. Um, they said uh, this they don't know uh, about its use in ancient time. We can only speculate what was done with opium. I mean, I should imagine people put it inside themselves to feel good. Yeah. That's, that's a major, major use of it. And in fact, because um, it's quite an easy thing to, to just get inside your body in, in uh, North Africa. In Morocco, um, they have this stuff called pavo, which is just poppy heads. You grind them up and boil them, and then you turn it into this tea, and you drink it, and you feel amazing. It's great. All your problems in the that. world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a little a bit on a um, Rajasthan, a camel trek, three-day camel trek, and the guy gives it to you at the end of the evening when you're settling down around the campfire. He says, this will keep the chill out. Mm. And you just put it, you sort of burn it on the end of a cigarette. You sort of have, you've got... You saw it, sure, you didn't just say, let's chill out. <laughs> so, I mean, you smoke... It turned out to be camel dung. He claimed <laughs> it was opium. <laughs> oh. so, like, I'm smoking heroin here, and it's yeah. just camel dung. It's like you've yeah. been ripped off by a Glasgow dealer. But it used to be used for all the great poets. 
didn't it? And and most of the, you know most of the great music has been. It, it feels like it's gone out of our life a little bit lately. Opium. Well, opium. Well, you haven't yeah. been to Scotland. I know. I know. There's all the, the kind of deaths in America, but that's the night. That's the nasty kind of sordid end of it, isn't it? Well, yeah. fentanyl. Poetic is use of it. The, the major manufacturer of fentanyl, all the fentanyl in America, uh, is China. China. So they're yeah. manufacturing it to destroy America, and it's the same with TikTok. They're using opium TikTok wars. to destroy America culturally. I was going to say that's where that's, that's how the whole we did it. Thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I will say though, this is quite interesting. The th- I, it doesn't seem to have uh, established whether it's part of a, a religious ritual or whatever. But you know, we know Joe Rogan, right? The uh, podcast yeah. host. He is fascinating. He has loads of guests on, at least one or two a, a month, who talk about new evidence that uh, ancient religious rituals had a far higher, you know, uh, controlled substance element. People than, have been taking drugs forever for a very long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I hope this develops. And um, and as I say, I would quite like to see, you know, the poetic use. I would have the sort of Philip Schofield, uh, you know, that excuse, but, but not, not as a journalist. I'm here as a poet. <laughs> you can have the dealer saying, look, you can have some, you've got to prove you're going to do some poetry. You've got yeah. to deal some, some quatrains on, yeah. uh, in, in Xanadu. Wednesday's Times, don't do drugs, kids. Well, I'm, I'm just being forced now to reverse my... Well, it's a uh, good thing we're moving on to a completely different subject. Yeah, different, different, different kind of drug altogether. True. Um, well, they, they, basically, they've discovered that ketamine... Uh, can ease depression, mm. uh, and not only that, that they've re- they they sh- they showed uh, they had a sort of test group. They gave them ketamine and then showed them pictures of people smiling, right. and that worked even better. So they become very suggestive on ketamine. Very suggestive because the brain suggestive. the brain becomes malleable. But yeah. it's interesting again for for those of us that remember the birth of Acid House. Right. People were taking ecstasy and everyone was walking around with great big smiley faces, smiley faces. on the T-shirt and that had a very similar effect. It made yeah. people very happy, hmm. quite huggy. Because for a long time I heard about ketamine and everyone went, oh, horse tranquilizer sounds terrifying, you know, you yeah. just assume you just lie there slobbering. I saw a video recently on YouTube where it was under medical supervision and a bloke was given ketamine, I think it was an anaesthetic as much as a, 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 an antidepressant. They were about to do something. I think they were resetting a bone and it was being done with blunt force, you know what I mean? That kind yep. of, you know, thing. Yeah. And they went, right, are you ready? And he was like, oh, ha, 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 and he was just like hilariously happy for about two minutes while you could could see this like doctor, you Jeez. know, it was extraordinary, and and he was really, it was, it was, it was kind of ecstatic, but it was also quite jolly, you know. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't weird and and sort of. You got to feel a bit sorry for horses because for yeah. us, we get a great time. Horses yeah. straight to sleep. Yeah, still, yeah. still got a long face on them. <laughs> anyway, yeah. obviously, don't uh, try it at home, kids. But it's interesting how some of these. Um, yeah, go out to a nightclub. Some of these quite long disparaged, you know, uh, pharmaceutical options now are being re-examined. There's a, there's a big uptick in uh, legitimising well, the magic mushrooms and all that. Magic mushrooms are now being used yeah. uh, officially in trials to, to treat depression, PTSD yeah. and things yeah. like that. dosing, isn't it? Well, yeah, and, and yeah. full-on full dosing as oh. well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of them say that it's like they have a virtually religious experience mm. and, um, and, and nothing ever, you know, it doesn't fall away again. They are permanently transfixed, mm. which is, I mean, that's always the big thing. The, the, you assume you lose psychedelic drugs, you experience a taste of, of the religious life, but as it yeah. drains away afterwards, you're left with very little to build but, on. But without hating your neighbours. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you introduce cricket. <laughs> <laughs> the Independent now, and if the last article tells us anything, this study into British health shouldn't come as a surprise, Leo. Uh, this is... Diets. Diets. 
Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, so British, British diets are only slightly healthier than they were in 1990. So uh, apparently there's this global score that scientists use to, to measure our diet and how good it is. Uh, and we've, uh, we're at 40.3 out of 100, uh, which wouldn't be a good Uber Uber score, yeah. and that's uh, only 1.5 points higher than it was in 1990. Uh, so we're now eating more vegetables and nuts than we used to, but we're also consuming more red meat, sugary drinks, and salt. And I've got an issue with this because red meat, I don't think, is it's, bad. It's I think healthy. It's, I think it's been proven to be good, and I think the you know the the grading of different mm. uh, foodstuffs has been proven to be wrong. And we we don't need all this carbohydrate. We actually need uh, red meat, saturated fat. And, totally uh, agree with you. Red meat yeah. is good. I do think sugary drinks are awful. It's interesting they're saying we're consuming more of those, and yet that's despite them having put a massive tax on them, isn't it? Did they put the sugar tax on the on the drinks? And Iron Brew has been forced to sort but of. People love sugar so much yeah. they'll drink through the tax. They drink more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll use their ultra high net worth. What's your, to buy your more. budget, Ben? Uh, you're a well, I'm a vegetarian. Your diet? You're so, vegetarian. Yeah. You know, I I'm, I haven't eaten meat since 1983. Wow, that yeah. is a long time. And it's never been easier to be a vegetarian or a vegan. Now no, you course, go into yeah. any supermarket and see. Let's be honest, some quite bizarre things like plant-based chicken. Yeah. I don't know who wants that. I don't, <laughs> I don't want plant-based chicken any more than I would want a leek and potato-based cat. It is an odd thing, isn't it, how all vegetarian and vegan food in particular still has to reference the kind of modular forms of, of carnivore. But, that, but that's only marketing companies thinking that yeah. that's what people right. want. Most what would they say, though? What would you like to see, want. like a plant-based television or a plant-based, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, how, come you never get, how come you never get people getting steak and trying to make it taste like, Look like broccoli? broccoli? Yeah. Yeah. Because it would be silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a floret of bacon. So, on the whole, do we think this is a lot of nonsense? It's in the Independent, it comes from America. I think we can dismiss it. Can't yeah. We? Yeah. <laughs> this is from the Daily Mail and a method actor who'd actually put into practice and succeeded, Ben. Tom um, Hardy with his uh, yes, martial arts. This is art. interesting, isn't it? Because uh, he, he went to um, a, a, a martial arts competition that was taking place uh, in Milton Keynes and he, he entered and got the gold. Amazing. Um, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that essentially a, quite a big Hollywood star yeah. would, um, would still have the need for such showing off. Oh, you think you find that interesting rather than that he is also good? I mean, he, he, he got good because he was he learned how to do it f training for a part yeah. uh, where he was playing, a, I think, an MMA He's not necessarily part. showing off in a massive way, though. He's in Milton yeah, Keynes. Milton Keynes. You know, <laughs> he's gone in under his own name, Edward Hardy. True. Yeah. So I think I think fair play to him, to be I, honest. I, I also realise that, you know, there's a vague chance that one day I'll meet him, in which case yeah, I should yeah. say, what an excellent thing he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what a, a weird guy. hunger you have for constant <laughs> affirmation, Tom. I want to see Meryl Streep enter Cumberland Taekwondo. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's quite good that Tom Hardy is actually sort of demonstrating that he maintains fitness between films. Because there is always that thing, you look at their physique in the movies mm. and you think that is amazing, but they have these trainers that get them ready for these roles, like Wolverine, right? Yeah. Is, and you can, you can buy that, that, you know, the specific exercise schedule, 12 weeks right. to Wolverine. Can you, you buy know? the steroids as yeah, well? Exactly. I mean, he's well, admitted that, you know, steroid use was a big part of it. And they, they peak at the, they peak at the, um, you know, yeah. when, when they but film. I, I 
suspect you wouldn't be able to be a gold medal winner on steroids. I mean, you might, it might not interfere, well, it's but it's not it, is it? It's not the whole thing. It's he's demonstrating. Yeah, no, it's illegal. It's illegal for anyone. But what I mean is, he's not just demonstrating a physique that got him ster steroids gifted. No, I think he's, he's demonstrated really, he's, he's got definitely the into that whole. Yeah. you know, he lives the he lives the part. The big butch Tom. OK, moving on to the Times. The result of this survey will not come as a surprise to you. Yeah, so there was a, 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 a test done to see if uh, a four-day working week would be workable, if it would be successful. So um, they had a six-month test period where people worked just 32 hours a week for the same amount of pay, uh, which seems, you know, seems a bit unfair. So what, um, what's the, given then? The, so uh, nine out of the 10 companies that took part uh, have, have said they're going to extend the policy. So basically found out that, you know, people can get all their work done in less time. But everybody knew that they were on a test. Mm. So they knew if they succeeded on this test, the companies would keep it going longer. You know, if people were more productive, so yeah. everybody just worked like, like the clappers yeah. for this test period. And now that they've, you know, now that the companies are sort of embedding it and making it part of regular life, now everybody is going to kick back and have an extra day off a week. I tell right. you, I feel sorry for it's the people who work weekends because yeah. they've now got to do a three-day weekend right. to make up for the four-day week. Mm. Well, there is going to have to be some. It depends. Some businesses actually require people to be there, don't they? I suppose other businesses, if if it's a four-day week, it's a four-day week, and the office is shut. Yeah. At the weekend. But I don't understand. Are they saying they get as much work done in four days as they used to get done in five? That's well, this is, I mean, bear in mind, a lot of this will be like, you know, local government and stuff like that. So it's People not like they're work. doing, they're doing half if a day's you know work you a week anyway. Friday off, if you work a little bit harder for four days, I think most of us would do it. I, as you say, initially, I remember there was a, a thing years ago, like a study or, or an experiment where they, I think it was more in a factory, and they wanted to find out whether ambient lighting was important. So they raised the level of ambient lighting. It was brighter indoors and it increased productivity by about 10%. Right. And then and then they went back down again. And then a few weeks later, they lowered ambient lighting by about 10% and it increased productivity. You've got to keep the lighting so going up and down. you've just got to keep changing things. You've got to just constantly <laughs> keep people going, oh, this is nice. It's, oh, that's nice. It's quite <laughs> People just like a, big, well, a little bit of variety. marriage as well? Yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> so you can stay millionaire. Here is a typical story for the Daily Star, Ben. This is uh, another workplace uh, shenanigans. Yeah, um, amazingly, uh, with people, the increase in people working from home, oh. uh, a number of people have admitted, well, 47% of all remote workers have admitted they sneak off to masturbate during uh, work hours. Extraordinary. At least they sneak off, I suppose. <laughs> well, <laughs> most of them, although uh, some have also admitted to having done so when they worked in the office. And being caught. Uh, well, it, it, apparently the cleaning cupboard was a popular destination oh, for, the, oh, my God. for the office. But that's for cleaning. That goes against the whole essence of cleaning. <laughs> and also a bad smell. It's yeah. not an erotic smell, is oh, no, it? You'd get a cupboard. fetish for bleach Stale after a certain pot. amount of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's really unsexy. I mean, there was that one bloke, wasn't there, who got caught uh, doing it on a Zoom call. Uh, was that an American politician or someone? Maybe a yeah. couple of people have been over the last couple of years. Well, according to this headline, uh, Brits working from home are masturbating on the clock. And wow. so that's some, that's some reach they've got. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But you've got to have a target, I suppose, haven't you? Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I suppose the stand-ups, it just doesn't occur to us, does it? What, what, you know, we only work for 20 minutes. Well, Lucy K. Lucy K managed to do it. That's true. True. Fair enough. Uh, this is my favourite story of the night. I'm glad we reached it. It is the... Um, 
The chess row from The Guardian. I think you've got this one, Leo, is that right? Yeah, so there's a cheating row rocking the world of chess. Uh, so there's an American teenager who's been victorious against the world champion. So a fortnight ago, the world champion Magnus Carlsen uh, pulled out of a tournament for the first time in his career. And then on Monday, he stunned the sport again by resigning a game after just one move. And both times, Carlsen was faced with the same opponent, this 19-year-old prodigy, American Hans Niemann. Uh, so... Uh, there, there are accusations that Neiman, this new teenage guy who's winning, winning all, the, all the games, is yeah. cheating. And that yeah. explains why he's suddenly Not so successful. Not just that he's cheating, though. Tell but there's, all, well, there's all, these, uh, all these theories going around about why, how he's managing to do it. And apparently he's using vibrating anal beads, which to me would be more of a handicap. I think trying to, you know, queen to King's Bishop, you know, that would be, <laughs> that'd be more, uh, make it more difficult. But, but also, there, is it there could be signals being sent through the, the vibrate. Like, remember the coughing, coughing colonel in, and yeah, um, yeah. uh, who so wants to to sort of like try and move out and the beads either vibrate yeah yeah as you get over the right <laughs> yeah yeah there's a guy in the audience turning the dial I mean that would look dodgy wouldn't it but I can't imagine you can't have a very sophisticated semiotic system just using vibrations in the rectum. I mean, there's a limit. You sound, like, you sound like you know this for sure. How much information can you get? It's binary, Morse, I guess. Morse code. Be like smoke signals. No, Morse code. I suppose it is. Yeah. Could it just be yes or no? Like, he's doing the yeah. move. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of the other ways that people have cheated, uh, they've had somebody standing behind one of the other tables to, yeah. um, to, to indicate. And uh, also a Latvian grandmaster, Igor Rouse, was banned for six years after being caught looking up moves on a phone he had hidden in a toilet. Well, that's so. pretty basic, isn't it? But they do say, I know, the, what's his name? The um, Kasparov, the, uh, like the world, like yeah. still the granddaddy of the whole thing. He says that the best players now are centaurs. Man and machine working together. That creates the best results. Oh, really? A man, there are machines that will be any man, but a man and machine working together. God knows how you learn how to work together, but somehow yeah. you create this kind of, yeah. So I guess that's what the anal beads represent. <laughs> the, uh, the interface <laughs> between man and machine in that respect. <laughs> Final story, very quickly from the Daily Star. Very very sad, but we finish our period of collective mourning. It seems even our furry friends are feeling the loss. The corgis. This oh, is yes. Leo. Oh, uh, so Stop. corgi owners say that their dogs know that the queen has died as they act differently. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, the second had loads of corgis. She loved them. There's a picture of her with a with a corgi there. And uh, now corgi owners uh, say they know, her, their pets know that the queen has died. Uh, they say they've uh, been curled up in their laps ever since the news broke, which is unusual. I don't know where they used to curl up. Um, and yeah, uh, other other people say. Someone else says, uh, "I must be honest. I've not seen me dog smile since the announcement." Hashtag they know. Uh, Dogs often know their owners have died because yeah. they Get start eating them. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's <laughs> true, yeah. And in well, some countries, much, at least Our Majesty was uh, saved from. That's all we have time for. Thank you to my guest headliners. We'll be back tomorrow with Nick Dixon in the hot seat. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.